Hello, 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 and welcome, my beautiful friends and family, back to another episode of Beyond the Podcast, the podcast where we're going to pull your brains out through your nose, throw it in the front yard, trim it all up, get it all nice and pretty, stick it back in, and you'll be ready to go on for the week. <laughs> That's right. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by using my Amazon link, amazonbrian.com. It'll take you to the homepage of Amazon. From any from there, anything you purchase will give us a small commission without costing you a dime. Also, if you want to, you can get a free Audible trial to listen to audiobooks. You get two free books and a month free trial. You can use audiblebrian.com. Now, as you can tell, we have a guest today, and that guest is my pops, also known as at Humorous Pops on Instagram. If some of you guys have been following the channel for a long time, you are familiar. But today, I'm having my pops on here because we're going to talk a little bit about business. My pops has had his own business for multiple decades, and I figured this would be a good podcast to do with him first. We'll probably do more podcasts in the future, uh, but this one specifically I thought would be really interesting because he can give his perspective from being someone who has had a business for a long time to people who like you and me are possibly gonna start doing a business or are new in a business that we've just started, it's always good to get advice from people who actually have the experience that you don't have. So anyways, welcome to the podcast, Pops. How you doing? I'm okay. Yeah, we're gonna go through a couple different questions and stuff. I kind of talked to you about this already, but yeah, just go anywhere you want. doesn't really matter. You don't need to be structured or anything. Well, in my business, my business experience, maybe I'm talking from things that didn't work quite right. Because as far as I see, I don't see that uh, it's turned out as well as I would have liked it to have turned out. Yeah, but that's that's specifically why I think it's a good one. I was saying this to Sammy earlier. Is, uh, if you had a bunch of money from the start and then you made more money because you had started with a bunch of money, your advice would be massively different than somebody who had to actually make the money to make a business. And so I don't, yeah, I don't think that that's true. Yeah. I don't think there's a better perspective. I think both are very valid. So that's why I wanted to have you on here. First off, how long have you had your own business for? Well, I was uh, 19 <clears throat> when I got my first business, which was a Chevron station. So I believe that's about 45 years now, which is a petrol station, like a gas station for people who outside of America. Yeah. Yes. And then from there, what happened? Well, I ran that for a while <clears throat> for 12 years and it was driving me crazy because uh, it was open 24 hours a day. You had, I had 20 employees at any time. It was just crazy. Made a lot of money, but uh, it consumed your whole life seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, then I sold that, and it was for a fair amount of profit. Started a weird little business of selling muffins to 7-Elevens all over San Diego County. I forgot about the muffin man. Yeah, the muffins. Now, that went really well. Yeah. I mean, it was in every 7-Eleven everywhere. But then your mother got pregnant with you. I don't know, with Alicia. And I realized I had to get serious and go back to work on cars because that's what would make the most amount of money. Yeah. Oil instead of blueberries. Yes. Uh, why did you decide to sell the gasoline station? It was just driving me crazy. So it was, it was time and, and yes. energy and whatnot. Uh Two months after I sold it, I had a customer run into me at Parkway Plaza Shopping Center nearby. And she's talking to me and she's saying, did you cut your hair? No. Did you lose weight? No. She says, oh, I know what's, I know what's different. You're smiling. <laughs> she was right. So it was just like a massive stress. Oh, it was horrible. Okay. So for people who, because I think this is good for people, because a lot of people make a decision to get into a career because the money is... $200,000 a year or whatever. But you would say probably that if you're getting into a business that 
is good money, but maybe it's going to continuously grind on you over the years. It might be better to not make that much money, but have a job that's not going to murder you with stress and just take all of your 24-7 time up and whatnot. Yes. If the business is running you, which is what was happening to me, I don't think it's worthwhile to be in it. Yeah. Because that's always been something, because the gas station was before I was alive. So I've always heard stories from my pops about the gas station, but I've never actually, I don't know that part. I know the part, which is now where we are, which is being a mechanic. So how long have you, what's the story with the whole being a mechanic thing? Well, I've always, my father, right out here in this garage out here, uh, we rebuilt the motor in a 58 Ford. And my old man was a machinist and he went through and did the whole job, everything on it, and we put it back in that car and started it up and it ran. He was the kind of guy that uh, he fixed the house, he fixed the cars, he fixed everything. Then I was watching him, the only thing I was interested in was the cars. I kind of wish I'd have picked up more on the uh, stuff he did to the house (laughs) because I hate doing house stuff. But then I started fixing cars. I got a job pumping gas at a gas station. Decided I wanted to be the guy in the back room fixing the cars. Worked hard to doing that. Then I'm the guy in the back room fixing the cars. Then I figured, well, I may as well be the guy that owns the place. And started working on learning how to do the books and order the gas. Everybody was telling me I shouldn't do that because the owner would have me doing all that stuff. And he wouldn't do it himself. Well, that was okay because then I'd know how to do all that stuff. And the next thing you know... The place is up for sale, and they gave it to me, and now I own a gas station. And so when you had the gas station, you were also doing auto repair in the gas station? Oh, yes. Okay. That's back in, yeah, that's right. You wouldn't remember that. Yeah. Back in those days, every gas station had a garage attached to it, and my back room was huge. It pumped a lot of work out. Okay. And so then you took, then you did the muffin thing for a while, and then you decided to go back and, and open a, a, a purely auto repair shop rather than have any of the gas yes. part of it. And so how long has that section been? How long have you had your own auto repair? Pure? 25 years. Okay. 25 years. Okay. Awesome. Um, so that's, that's where I am. You know, I'm 27 years. So that's all I've known is my dad being an auto repair man. And then I've heard the stories of the previous stuff. Um, but I've watched my dad go from different locations, changing up the style of the business, changing up what cars he's fixing in the business, kind of fine tune the business and streamline it into what it is now, where I feel like um, back in the day, you used to repair all sorts of different cars, but now you've kind of decided, these are the cars that are worth my while, don't give me a nightmare, give me more money. Yeah, Uh, also another problem is, is that I'm 65 and Franny, the guy that's my, you would call him more of a business partner than uh, an employee. Well, he's 65 also, and we're just old enough now that we don't want to work on big trucks. We don't want to work on the makes of cars that give you huge headaches. Mm-hmm. And then we have the one line of cars that honestly produce a lot of profit. And then we have the regular cars that, that keep the doors open. So we cut out the stuff that we just don't like working on. One of the pieces of advice that you gave me when I was like seven, eight, nine, you had a, you were reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, I think is his name. And he had a board game. It was called like the Rat Race, I think. Yes. And his, his whole kind of spiel thing was he had a lot of real estate stuff, but he also like pushed a lot of passive income kind of stuff. Yes. And so you pushed passive income stuff on me and at the same time you were always saying your 
trademark phrase, which is don't get into the same business that I'm in. Yes. Don't get into mechanic repair. Don't be a car repair person. And also don't get into a job where you're just purely labor working for your money so that you're tied to doing something for every dollar that you get. Yes. And so that's something that always stuck with me especially because of those games that we play. So it reinforced it for me. And that's the reason that my career path is entirely different than my pops. I, you know, obviously you guys know it's completely social media and stuff. I would say that the split is probably 50 and 50 between pure labor and pure passive income for me. Everybody, all, all four kids are doing other than auto repair. <laughs> so in a way you could say that that piece of advice was successful because none of us decided to go into auto repair. Yes, I would have really fought to stop you uh calvin has now got a job brian's oldest brother he's got a job that i don't quite understand he's tried to explain it to me two or three times and that's too complicated for me to understand it's something with satellites and cell phones and but then now he's getting into taking apart this jeep fixing it and doing this and doing that so he and i talk about what he's doing to the jeep but he's doing it in a different way it's the Jeep sitting in the driveway that he doesn't use to go back and forth to work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, messing with cars is not bad. Just don't make it your living. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think LP was dabbling. My other brother was dabbling a little bit in car repair and kind of like thinking about doing car stuff. And I remember you were like, eh. go to college. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's cool. You like cars, but don't make that your thing. Do something else. Yeah, the first year in high school, your mother signed you up for auto shop, and I'm sitting there going, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. With Mr. Bowden. Yeah, then I found out he was teaching how to rebuild lawnmower, so I'm thinking, oh, that's not going to get him into cars. Yeah, it didn't. That was the most boring class I ever had in my entire life. And that guy was a creep. Side story, guys. He gave a magazine. There was only one girl in my class. There was one female in the whole class, and he'd give her a magazine and tell her to pick anything out of the magazine, and he would buy it for her. And if that was now, <laughs> that would be a news story on NBC. But back then, he was like, which ring do you like? And she just awkwardly had to, she never said what she wanted, but she just had to awkwardly accept this weird guy overbearing on her. It was really weird. Anyways, um, yeah, I remember you, you would always tell me, go to college. Um, and I think going to college is a good default option. If you don't know what you're going to do, you should just continue going through high school. And at 18, you're probably not in the position to know what your career is going to be. You should go and do your general stuff in college because you still don't need to know what you, your career is going to be. You can do your general, uh, your your bachelor's. or What's the one before the associates? And then you can move on to your bachelor's. But also in this world, there's a lot of people who are moving away from college and doing their own things and That's businesses true. and stuff. And I think it's less relevant now to be in college than it was back when I was at the option point of whether or but not But it's I a good to go to place college. to be sitting around doing yes while you're figuring it out. And I would say this is one of my business points is if I could have, I would have gone to a university and gotten to a frat. Because I think frats are ridiculous, the whole partying thing stuff. But Ian was in a frat and he was one of like the, I guess, leaders or whatever and now he has so many business friends he can go to. Um, Ian is like one of my best friends. He knows the guys. There's a, a, a watch company called Movement Watch. So he knows the guys who own Movement Watch. If you were into watches and stuff, you would know exactly who Movement Watches is. So when Ian wants to go and do a business venture where he starts manufacturing stuff, he can go talk to those guys and they can be like, here's all the things you could just right away skip and not waste $20,000 
there's a lot of business connections you make with that. And that's one thing that I wish I would have done was go a little farther in college and made connections through a frat. So if, if you're out there, I think that would be a good idea if you don't know what you're, you're planning on doing quite yet. So moving on into the, the actual questions here, um, what are some like business mistakes that you have maybe made or you would just suggest people could avoid if you can think of some? I was thinking about that question. And because of the style businesses that I had, I don't know why the one thing that really rings in my head is uh, don't become friends with the people that work for you. Mm. Be friendly. Yeah. But remember that it's a business. Give them a job description. Give them the goal for their being there and stick to it. I think different personality traits, like different personality types will take advantage of your friendliness. I also should have learned how to let other people, um, for, for my case, it was, uh, I always had to be uh, right, my fingers had to be into the engine and watching them do the repair to make sure that they were doing it right. And you know, Ruben, the body shop guy. Yeah. Uh, there's a body shop that's right next to my, sh- my, my repair shop and he just sold out and it was because his head was ready to explode. He had, it was pretty big and he was the same way. He had to be involved in every single repair. And you can't do that when you're as big as he got. So instead of becoming bigger, mine has actually gotten smaller because I don't want the stress of having four or five employees. I had it and I don't really want it again. Right. And like having employees can be fine. But the problem is when people feel like they have to be a part of everything that is happening in the business. So they have their finger in every pot of the business. I think that's probably one of the best pieces of advice is when you start becoming entrepreneurial and you really want to make your own money, you feel like uh, you want to do everything. You want to be every role of the business. And also you feel like uh, you can't trust other people because it's your business. You have your idea about where the business needs to go and whatnot. So you want to make sure that you are there for every decision and every choice that's made so that you can make sure it's perfect and it's done right. But then you spread yourself thin. The problem is, is the style business I started off in I had station attendants. This is an entry-level job, and $4,000 of my money every day went through those people's hands. Hmm. And I was losing $800 a month minimum to either mistakes or theft or whatever. So choose a business, the watch guys that you just said. I don't know anything about them, but I'm guessing that the people that work for them primarily have minor college degrees at least. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a different style business where, I don't want to say it's people who are more uh, motivated. Right. Because the people I was working with, they were either motiv- uh, waiting to go on to a different job or they couldn't go on to another job. But uh, just choose a, a better business that, that you can go through. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good point. The type of people that you're employing, what level of education or what level of entry requirement they have is going to change a lot about how much trust you can put in them, how much you actually need to manage them for the, for the first while, while they're working there until you can trust them. And like you're saying, entry level people, it's, it's just, it could just be anybody, but if you're a designer that you could probably trust the designer because he probably had to get a degree for the design, he's probably motivated to keep that job. It's not like he can just trade that for any other job. Whereas you can trade an entry-level job with any other job. So you're like, whatever, if I get fired here, whatever. Well, it's like, that's why I keep saying don't go into car repair. 
because you're either dealing with somebody who's under-motivated, and that's at the gas station, or you're dealing with a mechanic that's a prima donna. <laughs> yeah. Because if you get somebody that's good, he knows he's good. Mm-hmm. And so if you choose what Alicia does, um, hers is dealing with making people happy. At the end, they're, you know, they're taking a cute little puppy home. It isn't just that their car now runs. Yeah, I think that's a good piece of advice, too, because you told me this a few times. Um, the one part that wears on you with doing the business that you're in for so long, too, especially, is the fact that when you deal with customers, your whole business is based off of having a problem, so they have to come to you instead of having something that they want from you, so they decide to come to you. It's like uh, it's like a dentist. You know, you have pain in your tooth, so you have to see the dentist. So people are never, like, stoked to go see the dentist, rarely. Same thing with mechanic. You're not stoked... No one's like, yeah, you get to go sit in the mechanic's office while he works on my car and I have to pay some unexpected bill. And the best bill. case scenario is at the end, it runs like it did before it broke. Right. Yeah, no one's gaining anything that's no. making their life better. They're just repairing the thing that, that went wrong. And so, yeah, then you're constantly dealing with either neutral people or slightly nice people. But generally, a lot of people are in a grumpy mood because they didn't expect $800 yes. to come out of their car this week or whatever. Yes. Um, and, and, and that, even if you're the happiest, most positive person ever, if you have to deal with that 12 times a week or whatever, it can wear on you. I can imagine it'd be very difficult. Absolutely. And so probably a piece of advice for people who are out there thinking about what business to get into. Maybe think about the long-term effects. You know, what's a decade or two of dealing with the customers and the types of people who you're going to be serving? What's that going to do to you? Is it something that you want to get stuck in? You know what I mean? Um, if you're a masseuse... Every single time you finish with somebody, about 80 to 90% of the people are going to thank you and say, oh, they feel so good. And you're going to end up going home feeling like you just made six people's lives better that day. If you could give advice to yourself or, or anybody, but if you could go back and, and time travel to you at 15, 16, 17, 18, whatever, and you give yourself some business advice, what would it be? Don't go into our auto repair. <laughs> uh, put money away. Um, is, is, as a business person, you're always uh, grinding away and, and you look at the money you're making and you think, well, if I just put that money back in hmm. to make more money, what you need to do is you need to put 10% of it aside all the time so that you have some money being built up because as a business owner, you don't have retirement. You better plan on from 18 on. You can put a small amount away from 18 on and by the time you're my age, you can have a lot sitting aside. And that's one of my biggest mistakes is I didn't do that. Yeah. I personally had that same idea when people would say like, uh, especially people who are in a job job where they, they match your 401k. So you already, you're already kind of forced into a retirement thing. So you don't have to really think about it. They're doing it for you. Sometimes my friends would talk to me about it. Sometimes you'd talk to me about it. Oh, maybe you should start your own, uh, you know, IRA account, SCP IRA account or whatever. You should put money away. But I'm, I'm a young dude. So I'm thinking like, oh, but that's money I could use for the business or something that actually benefits me now, I'm not going to be retired for like ever. So like, thinking about yourself at 60 when you're 15 or 20 is like, that's not going to happen. And it happens way faster than you think. <laughs> and I did the same thing that you're saying where you say, well, if I could put $100 away a month for my retirement, why not put that $1,200 of the course of a year into my business and then I could flip that into $3,000 because I buy a new piece of equipment that can get me jobs here and there and blah, blah, blah. 
And that, that is true in certain ways. Sometimes you do need to invest in equipment and that can be more useful than putting money over here on the side. But if you put 10% away into an account, you can take the money out of that account and make it a loan to yourself and pay the loan back into that account instead of having to go to the bank and pay interest on a loan. Yep. And I think also at a, at a certain point, you don't draw the line where you say, okay, I've put the money that I need to into equipment and whatnot. And now I'm just putting money into the business, maybe not like haphazardously, but you would do better if you did a little. See, I think we're, I think that what I'm actually talking about is more in the times when things are bad because it, your age, you're not, you haven't experienced a really, a, a real bad uh, recession. And I've, re- I've experienced three. The 08 recession was really bad from 2001 until 08. It wasn't too good for repair shops because everybody was buying brand new cars. But then after 08, it collapsed also. So and during that period of time is when you really have to fight to put that money aside. And if you don't have the money aside, then you have no, I don't know, well to draw from. Because that's what happened to me is, is it took everything I had to stay in business in 08. Right. And you, you feel like if you would have been saving for the last 10 years previous to that 10% of your income each year, it would have made that recession area a lot easier. Yes. And there's a lot of small businesses like mine. <clears throat> One one customer it makes frames for pictures. Okay. And uh, we were talking, and they were in the exact same shape as I was in 08. Uh, they had charged up a whole bunch of credit card debt because they didn't have the, the cash. Um, we, we had to cancel the IRA that we had and to stay in business. How long did the recession... I mean, I mean like, we, we, you know, general recession, we know how long, but how long did it affect your business itself? I'm going to say till 2012. So like four years. And we're still not doing well because we live in California. The recessions always take longer to leave California than it does any other state. And then once we come out of the recession, normally it takes us longer to go into the recession in California. I think it's an important important point. Uh, I think a lot of people don't think about the recessions that can happen if you haven't actually experienced a recession where you were doing business. Because, of course, I was alive during the recession of 2008. And I wasn't like a child either. Like, I was aware that it was happening. I was aware that people were getting wrecked left and right. But it didn't, it mattered to me because of my life and your life. But it didn't matter to me as a business person. I was, I was still, my life was just going yeah, to. A lot of your friends, your soccer player friends parents were losing their houses and cars and all yeah crazy stuff we weren't but we weren't driving brand new cars and we didn't spend we didn't mortgage the house out to have fancy uh italian tile (laughs) right overextend so we were able to just cut back i mean we cut way back yeah but i think that's really a really good point is um for me, like I said, I, have, I wasn't in business during the recession, so I didn't have the experience of having a business and seeing what it would do to my business. I can only speculate what would happen, and I do currently speculate what will happen to me and in, it will. in my career path when the recession happens. Yeah, because of course, it will. and it's not necessarily that it'll be as big as 08. It could be bigger, it could be smaller. You know, recessions don't necessarily have to be like wrecking everybody. They can just be a lull in the economy. But generally, things that aren't required go down a bit in terms of those businesses that aren't required so yeah like the picture frames people probably cannot buy 
Yeah, people can not buy picture frames, but they still have to buy groceries. But the 08 situation for me was so bad that I had customers with two cars. The broken car sat in their driveway, and they shared one car. Hmm. That's how bad the 08 recession was. Yeah, I always wonder what will happen with mine, because mine's entertainment, which I would think would drop, because you don't need me, but also you don't pay for me. You know what I mean? I get paid through the advertisers, and I imagine the advertisers would probably spend less money on advertisements, so maybe the payments would go down. But I imagine maybe. that people, when they're depressed through recessions, probably load up more on entertainment. To- I was going to say, it's probably not going to get hurt that bad. Yes, that's that's the that's the fifty fifty. Like I'm not sure, and I always think about it, and I'm not too worried about it because I do have money saved up. But yeah, I think about it, and I'm like, I wonder what that's going to be like. Versus like what you have been mentioning, you know, if you again, were- my situation is, if I'm not fixing a car, I'm not making money. Right, and yeah, when people are going through the recession, like you said, they'll load up on just driving one car more. And, and then when things get good, too, the other problem with your business is when things get really good, people end up buying new cars, buying new cars. instead of repairing the old. So, you, yeah, you kind of live in the in-between the in between zone where you don't want the economy to be wrecked and you don't want the economy to be like murdering where everyone's just getting tons of extra money. It's kind of an interesting spot. Yes. If you Also, if you ever have any other advice that comes into your head as we're going through this, it's good because these are, these are good Did points. I say don't go into auto repair? <laughs> I think you mentioned it once. Speaking of a partner, Franny would I would say is necessarily a business partner in cho- in administration. He, he doesn't choose what to do with the business. He's been working with you for a really long time. And Since it, we were 20, so 45 years. I know you have opinions on going into business with a partner. Well, the reason why the, he and I work together well is because he doesn't want to have anything to do with the actual running of the business. And so whatever it is I say... He th- believes that's what we're going to do. Boy, that sounds bad, doesn't it? Not really. Like, for example, when me and LP were, were doing our cinematography and stuff and I was shooting CT, LP did not want to make the choices. He didn't want to email anybody or make the money choices or oh, budgeting. Yeah. He also didn't want to make the plan of what the video was going to be. He wanted me to set all the plans up and then he would come in and tweak all the plans and come in with his style and be like, you know what? We should do this and that with your plan, but we should add this or take this out. Yeah, so it's fine. But here's here's the problem with a business partner because Franny gets paid a paycheck. Mm-hmm. He gets paid a salary. The problem is, is when you take on a partner, it all sounds really good because the partner comes in with however much money. Mm-hmm. But then in the following year, if he put in half the money, now he gets half the profit. So you're feeding another mouth. So you better make sure that there's a reason why that partner is necessary. Because it's just going to be another draw on the business. So you'd say evaluate whether the partner is going to add another 100%. Is is he going to pay for himself? Yeah. And in Franny's case, I mean, he's a good mechanic. So therefore, but if you're just taking a guy that's going to hand you money and then he's going to disappear and you have to give him profit, the chances are you're going to be paying that profit for however many years. And then you might end up having to buy him out when you decide that he sucks. That's right. And you want to get away from him. You can't just fire him. You can't right. just... Right. Right. There's this, there's this really ridiculous car show on uh, A&E called uh, Fast and Loud. And they started a new program where they go out and they revamp an auto repair shop. And the guy gets a portion of the business. So they're, they're, he's a partner with the guy now. But all the guy does is come in, clean it, paint it stick in a bunch of equipment that's completely useless cameras and they epoxy the floor and then the guy disappears 
leaving the guy that owns the shop behind and he has to split the money with the guy that's not around anymore. He's not running the business. Right. And yeah, you could have just paid some guy to... You could have gone and made a bank loan to have the epoxy put on the floor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could have just paid a designer. And then like there's the franchises where you buy a... Well, in my business, out here it's called Precision Tune and Econolube and Tune and those style places where they take a guy that knows nothing about cars, they put him in a repair shop, and then every month after you've put down your $100,000, you open the doors. From that time on, you have to give 20% of your gross income to that company. And gross income is before profits figured out. So it's not 20% of your profit. So now you don't make any money this month, but you did $20,000 worth of work. Mm. You still have to send the parent company money. So that's really a, a horrible type of partner. Yeah, where if you're breaking even, you're actually losing money because you have to, yes. 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 Terrible. Yeah, and I think... Like you're saying, it when you want to get a partner or you're talking with a partner who maybe is a friend or something like that, it's very exciting because you have two people who are excited, which is always more exciting than one person who's excited, <laughs> especially when you haven't made the business yet. So it's just ideas in the air. And yeah, it's way easier to go into business with two people in terms of mood and how it feels because you have someone who's supporting you and someone yes. who's excited with you and stuff. But that's an emotional decision. Right. And it's so important not to do things emotionally when it comes to business. Yeah. There's another golden piece of advice. Sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil. Figure it out. I, I have a young man that's uh, renting a section of my shop. And he's running a detail business out of it. And uh, I was ex- explaining to him, you need to write everything down. At the end of every month, you, you you think you made X amount of money. Well, he, he didn't... Specifically, I asked him, how much did you make last month? I didn't want him to tell me the specific amount, but he says, well, it was a good month. I said, but can you tell me how good? And he, he didn't answer. He didn't know. So I was telling him, no, dude, you have to write this down. You need to know the answer to that question to the penny because emotionally you felt like last month was really good right. but you may have been working for free write it down figure it out keep track of it that's a really good point if you are an emotional person which is totally fine some people are more logical some people work more on emotion but don't lie to yourself recognize that you're a more emotional person and try to think differently than you regularly think with your normal day-to-day life and your friendships and stuff. Take yourself out of that emotional mindset and see if you can look at it with brass tacks logic. See if it makes sense and if it's working. And that, you kind of just threw another piece of advice out there, which probably is going to sound pretty cliche, but make sure you're keeping a budget. Document your budget and see if, if at the end of the month how much money you're actually making versus just kind of going and being like, yeah, we're in profit, so it's good how much profit are you in? Cause that's something I also did with, uh, when I first opened the clothing business beyond the week, I wasn't looking specifically at it. I just knew that I was making more money than I was spending. So yeah, we were profiting, but like how much was and I? And sp- I think I was saying you need to keep track of this week or monthly. Yep. Yeah. And I would do it at the Get end. Get an envelope. Yep. Monthly. Yep. Figure this stuff out. 
but I was doing it every six months to 12 months. And if you look at it in a six month block or a 12 month block, it gives you some information. You get to see like, okay, cool. I made six grand or whatever. Right. But you don't get to see the specifics of what was working during this month or what wasn't working during that month. If you ran a sale or something like that, all that gets blocked into one piece of information instead of you being able to detail each month and see what did and didn't work, what you were wasting money on, what was making you money. Every year I have my accountant because it's very hard to figure out how much your daily expenses are because there's things that get paid every six months and so on and so forth. So I have my accountant every year tell me how much my daily expense is. How much does it cost me to open the, roll that door up every morning? And that makes it so at the end of the day you go, okay, so I covered my bills today, it wasn't that horrible. Mm. Then those are the days you walk away going, whoa, that was a good day. Mm. But then, this just recently, for the last uh, two weeks, it has been so dead, and you're able to sit there, and I'm just—it's clicking up in my brain. Okay, so it's ten days times how much it costs. It's like, oh my gosh, you know that you got problems coming, right? And what it does is it causes you before you are out there four months from now, going, I got to go to the bank and make a loan. Two weeks into it, I'm, I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh. I'm that much in the hole compared to where I should be. So keep track of it. Yeah. Gives you a good forecast of what's going on instead of looking backwards, you're looking forwards. And also that's another piece of advice that is really good that is very boring and is very easy to ignore that I also ignored is get a professional accountant or at least a professional CPA tax professional because and maybe, maybe you don't need to in the very beginning if you're doing something kind of a smaller business that you're gonna build up, you can kind of deal with it on your own in the beginning, but you really should have a professional because he'll be able to, he, she will be able to figure out how can we uh, adjust what you're doing to make you save this much money on taxes that you would have just wasted when you went on TurboTax and just pumped it all into your, yourself. Because I didn't have a professional until I finally switched to your guy. And he's taught me all this crazy stuff that I'm, I'm not gonna go read tax stuff so i'm not going to learn all these extra rebates and all these different things you can change around and you can get a special this and that for being self-employed or you can spend this much money on your scpra and get a fifty five hundred dollar contribution benefit off your tax like all this stuff is stuff that i would never google and likely those of you who are listening are not going to google it on your own you see i have no idea what you were just talking about because i've always had an accountant since i was 18 right the gas station was a paper generator i mean it was just reams of paper records and you have to keep them all then i got audited and it was a five-year audit and it was an in in my accountant's office audit and that meant that the irs man sat there for two weeks two weeks and touched every single paper for a five-year period terrible and it's important that all those papers be there and at the end of two weeks that guy changed nothing in my ta in my tax what i owed for those five years so everything was dotted and every i was crossed that's when i've always told you put all the receipts in an envelope so at least they're there right which i do now which i would have not done if i didn't have you as a dad and i had some other dad who was not a business owner he would have never told me that because he probably would have never thought of it and then i would not have any documentation Currently, I have the same thing as you, except you have way more paperwork than I do, but 
No, it's just tons of paper. It's, it's disgusting. I've seen it. It's, it's like a whole, it's like a whole apartment. I used to really. be bad. It's huge. It used to be an envelope would walk in and it was just stuffed with stuff. And then the accountant would have to go through. Now I was saying something to the, to Donetta, the, our, our CPA, I was saying to her, I said, well, yeah, no, I got to do that better. And she says, no, no, wait a minute. She says, you have the most organized books of anybody that I deal with. Because all I do is every single morning I go in and I put these receipts. I have a file of about 15 slots and I put those receipts in that. I put that receipt in this. I put that receipt in that. Then I balance my checkbook every morning. And then you start the day knowing everything is kosher. Yep. And I didn't do that for the first couple of years. And at the end of the year, I would go through and do all my taxes at once, which would take me four days to do. And now it's terrible. And now I have it all done each month. I do it, but you could really just do it each quarter if you didn't want to do it every month. Uh, But now I have the same kind of thing where if you asked some tax guy, you know, if I got audited, he asked me for 2016, I could pull out the folder, two and a half inches of papers. And I could say, here it is. (laughs) And it's all perfectly organized. CPA has gone through it. And the other thing that you mentioned that is really good is if you do get audited and you don't have a professional representing you and you're just doing it through TurboTax or whatever self-taxing thing, you will be the one sitting down with the IRS agent because who else is going to do it? If you have a CPA, then they're going to sit down with that person. He's going to deal with, she's going to deal with it. And then they're going to hit you up every once in a while and say, hey, there's a little discrepancy on this paper. Do you have any answer on this? And then you'll be able to, oh, da, da, da. And then you'll go right back to work and then they can continue working with the IRS agent. I think that's huge. I think that's really important. In the case of the audit for two weeks, my accountant told me that I was not even allowed to drive within 10 blocks of his office. (laughs) Don't you come in here. Don't call. Don't do anything. He says, you stay away. Because he took care of the whole shlamoli. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, my biggest nightmare is getting an audit, which would be fine, but it sounds like a freaking nightmare. I don't want that. <laughs> um, I, we've kind of done most of it. The, the only other question, and, and we kind of touched on this too, but I think you might have a couple extra things to throw into it is, you know, some people are going to have digital businesses. I have a digital business. I don't actually deal with real life people except for when I coach people. So I guess I have that but it's all still digital. I don't actually deal with people on a face-to-face, physical, in-person basis. Do you have any advice for somebody who's going to have a business where they are literally dealing with people in person? There's a lot on that. I don't really, uh, the book, uh, How to Influence. Yeah, How to Win Friends and Influence People. How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he talks about uh, the win-win situation. it's best to figure out a way to help the person get what they're trying to achieve. Um, now, the problem with that is, is that sometimes they're trying to achieve, in my case, a repair that isn't going to cost them anything. So you got to <laughs> stop. You got to stop that sort of situation. But I'll have customers that come in. The one kind of car I work on is Rolls Royces, and they drip oil like mad. So it's dripping oil. I, I will say to them. Okay, so do you want to make sure the car is safe? Uh, and as long as it's safe, you're okay with the oil drips? Or do you want to have no, no drips at all? And I, I, this one guy I remember, no drips at all. And I, we were able to, you know, this is going to cost a lot of money if you own an English-made car. And you want absolutely 
no drips. And then the other ones will say, I don't care, I'll put a thing down. So I'm helping either one achieve what they're trying to achieve. But to do that, you also have to listen. When you're doing face-to-face, people come in and they tend to be emotional, at least in my business. They'll walk through the door and the stupidest thing they'll do, the one, the one of the things that's to me is the most ridiculous to do, they walk through the door and they'll tell me what their budget is. This can't cost me more than $500. Never say that. Just tell me what you're trying to get. Um, but help them achieve what they're trying to achieve. Then when they you you can't help them to achieve what they're trying to achieve because they're uh, incapable of knowing it. There are certain people that sometimes you just have to say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm going to be able to help you." I had a lady recently that came through the door and she was swearing it. it I never touched her car before, but she's swearing at me and yelling, and screaming. And, Wait a minute, ma'am, I I can't really help you achieve what you're you need here your goals are going to have to be met by somebody else and so she starts screaming at me again and she was going to tell the person that referred her to me that i did this and i'm thinking to myself oh my word you can't be made happy so after i do the repair it's going to be a pain forever you're going to it's not going to work so sometimes you got to kind of cut bait and move to the next customer who you can work with but find out what they're trying to achieve help them achieve it and then you will uh you'll make money it's a good point don't be a yes man on every single thing yeah because you can get wrapped up into work that would take you two weeks and you could miss a higher ticket item that if you weren't doing this low ticket item that you said yes to you could have said yes to the other one that would have been better but now you're wrapped up because you said yes to every single thing that walked in and you even maybe cut your cut your prices down because you my, wanted to say yes to this person. My gas station, I was 19 years old, owning a Chevron station, and I'm, you know, ready to go. Yeah. And my back room was stuffed with cars. You couldn't get your car in for four or five days. My accountant's coming in saying, you're not making any money out of the back room. I don't want okay, 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 okay. Oh, after about six, eight months of this, finally he sits me down and he says, sit down and listen to me. And so he got my attention. He says, you're not making any money in the back room. Back room meaning the garage section. Hmm. He says, you have to stop doing this. You need to charge more. But I'm going to lose customers if I do that. Hmm. He says, it doesn't matter. You're not making any money. At this moment, if you close the back room, you will not have any difference. So he got through my head, and what I said was right. When I raised the prices, I lost half the customers. But the following month, he came in and says, hey, you're making some profit. And what happened was then more customers came along. You weeded out the ones that were only there for price, and yeah, you kept, and all of a sudden you're back to being super busy, but you're making money. You have to figure it out. And that again comes back to the figure out your daily expenses. Like you watch these mission or not restaurant impossible thing where the guy walks into this restaurant and says to the restaurant owner, 
what's your food costs? And the guy is sitting there and his eyes get big and he, uh, you don't know how much it costs you to make that plate, that hamburger with the French fries. And I'm always, I'm watching that. I'm going, how in the world could you do that? Right. You have to know how much the plate costs. Yeah, yeah, right. If you don't know how much the plate costs, you can't make money. Yeah. And so that goes back to that first accountant guy that sat me down because he was figuring out how much the plate cost. And I wasn't listening to him. Finally, I did, and I started making money out of the back room. Yeah. Figure out how much it's costing so that you can make money doing it. It's a lot easier in your style business, though. You mean digital? Yes. Yeah. You don't have that brick-and-mortar place that you're paying insurance, right. rent, employees. Uh, you were making your own shirts for a while. Mm-hmm. Next thing you had to do was you were going to have to hire somebody to run that machine you have. Well, it was a lot smarter for you to move over here to that company that drop shipped yep yep yeah and i think that's probably something that most people especially when you're young and you haven't gone to business school or have anybody to give you business acumen and advice you're probably going to get stuck in that situation because that's i bet you every single business person does this i did this too you just want to be busy you want to you want to have as many customers as possible because you're starting from zero so having two customers feels like you have very little customers and you want to get to a point where you're working all the time and so like for me um, nobody knew that I was a coach. So I thought a great way to get coaching experience and people putting testimonials down and stuff would be to lower my prices to half the price that everybody else was offering. So then I would coach people for like ridiculously small amounts of money, you know, like 50 or a hundred dollars for like four months, which is like nothing. You're not making any money, but you are tied up constantly coaching people. And then because you get a reputation for that, the people that they tell about your service are expecting the same price. So now you have tons more customers hitting you up on the, on the regular, but they all want the same really low price. My Google reviews say, um, does a good job at a fair price. Doesn't say at a cheap price. At a budget, yeah. Right. Right. And then I got to the point that you just mentioned right there where you said, then you have to choose, do you want to continue on this low ticket price with tons of, op, you know, ton, you're just barely making any margins, but you have 50 customers a week. Awesome. Cool. Or do you have to make the adjustment where you raise your prices and then you have to deal with severing the limb? Like it's painful because it feels, it feels like you're doing the wrong thing. You're cutting off half your customer base or yes. more. To make this adjustment. Very much feels wrong. And in the beginning, at least for me, it dipped my amount of profit for a moment because everybody that I was coaching to were low ticket people. So when I raised my prices, most of them didn't want it. And so then it took a minute for me to build a new audience. The new group. Right. But then eventually I got to a point where then I was just as busy, like you had just said, just as busy, but with people who were paying me high ticket prices. And for me, the struggle was when I was doing it low ticket, I didn't enjoy it because I didn't feel like my time was being worth the money that I was getting, but I didn't want to let go of it because it was making money. So I didn't want to just not have something going. But then eventually when I got to the high ticket prices and then I had enough people, 
then I was really stoked to sit down and coach people. And I was more encouraged to spend more time on those people because I knew at the end of the month, I was getting a decent amount of money that made me happy. The way to fix that is, is to give an option. Ricardo came to me and he's, he does this one fancy thing where he puts a sealer over the paint. The car looks like it's just got repainted. It's a thousand dollars. Well, he's got this one dude that sells cars. He wants him to do it. He's whittled him down to $500. It takes Ricardo two solid days to do this. And now the guy comes to him and says, I want you to do this one for 300. Well, Ricardo comes to me and he says, what should I do? I says, we, you can't do that. Two days, the stuff you're putting on the car costs you 150. It's $150 for two days worth of work. You can't do that. So I says, go back to him, call him up and say, look, I can't put the sealer on for that, but I'll be more than happy to do the paint correction. I'll put a nice wax job on it for 300. And the next day, Ricardo says to me, he says, I went and told him what you said. He says, and now he's dropping the car off and he's going to give me the 500 that he's always given me. Give him an option. Hey, no, yeah, we can do it. We just, we'll do it this way, which is a little less expensive. Right. Yeah. And then, and then you can still offer a low ticket option, but you're adjusting the amount of work you're putting in so that it's the same amount of pay that you would get for the higher one. You're just doing less stuff. That's right. And then it's just fine. And then maybe that person's happy with that and you're happy and you're not getting overextended. And you also are not required to say no. That's a good point. Oh, sure. We'll do it this way. <laughs> right. Yeah. You have options. Point. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could go on that for so much longer. I think you guys get the point. Yes. If you can push a high ticket price, it will always be better to wait for the customer base to build for the higher ticket price because eventually you will max out and then you'll have more than you need and they'll all be paying the price you want rather than just forcing a bunch of low ticket stuff. As, and, and I think, I guess my last point here, uh, I have a sister who's, who has a hard time sometimes wanting to ask people for money because that is a very hard thing to do when you're, when you're in your own business is to ask people for a good amount of money. You feel guilty for asking people for money. Never feel guilty for asking people for money. If they aren't willing to buy the service for the price you want, then who cares? They can go to the next person. That's their prerogative. You don't. You should never feel guilty. They're for allowed it. to go someplace else, right? And that's the trap that a lot of people and myself got into. Is you just feel bad for it, but don't feel bad for it. Just charge what makes you happy. Get the high ticket price, and then people who want to pay for it will pay for it, and they'll do it gladly. And especially, I also think people who are willing to pay the high ticket price have in their mind balanced how much that cost, and they're saying, "I really have decided that this is worth it," and so. Usually the people who are paying the high ticket price are more appreciative of the work that you're doing. And they're also more committed to the work that you're doing because they respect the amount of money they're putting into it. Whereas the I think it's also caused me to have more logical customers. Yeah. Because the statement is, is he's not cheap, but he does the job right. So you end up with a customer who goes, oh, he's not cheap, but he does it right. So he's going to come to me. So the person who's illogical is going to find the person that's cheap. They just got filtered out. Right. The person who's going on Yelp and going lowest to highest price and going down the list from number one. Yeah. Yes. Right. You don't want those people. You don't want budget people. No. And they have very little loyalty, right? The next person who's cheaper than you, they're going to jump from them and there goes that customer. Well, and then you got also, there's another issue you have to do, and this is what I've been trying to get Ricardo to do. This is the price right here. That's the price. 
it doesn't it doesn't go up and down. It isn't a sliding scale. Right. You know, that's the price right there. Yeah, we don't haggle. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's good. Do you have any other anything else that's in the back of your mind that you want to say before we round this one up? Did I say don't go into car repair? <laughs> hey guys, don't go into car repair. FYI. Unless you're gonna, I was offered a job. Uh, the guy that runs the community college, he says you need to come out here, and <laughs> we're gonna put you. Uh, we can put you to uh, being a teacher. Prof- I don't know. There's a way that I could become a professor without going through all the English classes and stuff. Yeah. And I said, dude, you don't want me out there. He says, why? I says, because the first thing I'm gonna do the first night of the class, I'm gonna be sitting there telling everybody, get out of this classroom, go find a different way of making a living. Oh, you've made a good living. And I'm standing there with my hand on a toolbox next to us. And I said, uh, his name's Chris. I said, Chris, this toolbox cost about 120 grand. What other business do you have to buy that much in tools to make as little as mechanics make? Oh, mechanics make good money. I know some of them that are making 100,000. Yeah, but they had to spend 125 to be in the business. So, I mean, shouldn't they be making more? Plus the education they have to have. Right. Yeah, yeah. Weigh it out. Weigh out what your what your end goal is going to be once you go through all the the training and education and stuff. And I think especially with with your thing with mechanics, you always have a bunch of young dudes who are always telling you that they want to do what you're doing because it's kind of the fantasy for a lot of young boys is to get greasy and get the wrench and fix things and stuff i'd say you you probably agree with this if you love cars and you love repairing cars do it make it a hobby make it something that you do for fun Get an education make it fun buy yourself a hot rod and mess around with it on the weekend yeah well we are in in my industry though we are now um starting to have a tremendous problem in that there are not many young people coming into it mm. it it is a serious problem and uh the, the tool companies, everybody's running uh, promotions to get people to come in. And uh, there's just, it's, it's not a business, it's not a uh, profession that people are coming to because you don't make enough money. One way you could say a lot of people are taking your advice without even knowing who you are. Yes, <laughs> you're right. Well, I think that's pretty good. I think that was a really good podcast. So thanks for being on here. I appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of you guys probably appreciate it too. Uh, if you guys want to, you can follow Pops on Instagram. It's Humorous Pops, but it's spelled humorous like the humorous bones. So that's H-U-M-E-R-U-S, Pops. He posts uh, every couple of weeks, but it's a fun thing to, to follow. Um, yeah, go follow him. As I'm putting my hot rod back together, uh, I'll be posting more. But Right, yeah. You are working on the Mustang, which is a 67. Yes. And uh, you just got the paint finished, right? Paint's done. It's gorgeous guys check it out if you guys are into hot rods and stuff it's pretty kick-ass so it'd be fun to watch that as it goes but if you guys enjoyed this i would love to hear about it on social media so if you watch this and you enjoyed it give me a dm snapchat me leave a comment on a video doesn't matter or if you want to you can leave a review you can give a five-star rating on itunes that helps us out a lot again thanks for listening to be on the podcast the podcast where you come in for business advice and the number and you one. get your brain trimmed in the front yard. <laughs> then we put it back in. You're not allowed to become an auto repair person, period. Thanks guys for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.